0: In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find science robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics great way to stay up to date with a published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles, where also you can contribute with your questions and thoughts about the research. Thanks, Science Robotics, for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. So I'd like to give you first, uh, you can introduce who you are. Or define yourself for your audience maybe first time listening to
1: you. <laughs> so my name is Henry Hess. I'm a professor of biomedical engineering here at Columbia University in New York City, and I've been working on molecular robotics
2: for the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Gadiel Seper. I'm a postdoc in Henry's lab. Um, I've been working in a variety of bio-based engineering for the for my PhD in postdoc and got into robotics in my last project.
0: Mm, great. So first of all, congratulations for the science robotics paper. I think it's very interesting work, and I think it will be interesting to share more details with the audience. But I would like to skew maybe uh, in the beginning, Henry, because I think in your expertise in, uh, in designing, for example, artificial muscle. And I think in soft robotics, we ask the question how we can design something exactly have the same behavior as nature. So when you start to look for the molecular side, and I think that's another direction sometimes, it's maybe quite hard and not traditionally explored in soft robotics, like using material, uh, like smart material. If you can tell us the problem, what makes you fascinated to design this direction, for example, artificial muscle, using, playing with molecules? What's something you think very, could be rewarding to design something, maybe replicate what we have in nature?
1: Yeah, I think the muscle is still sort of the inspiration for a lot of what everybody is doing, right? You have all these molecular motors arranged in a hierarchical manner, making beautiful ordered structures which are highly efficient and um, convert the the biological chemical fuels like glucose and ATP into mechanical work at high efficiency and obviously there are several paths trying to replicate that in technology and the path we have taken is and many of or some of our colleagues is to take the biological molecules as sort of off-the-shelf building blocks and try to reassemble them into functional structures and in particular, my Japanese colleagues, um, uh, Takehiro Nita and Yuichi Hiratsuka, have recently had a beautiful paper in Nature Materials, how they integrate, for example, kinesin motors, which is one particular motor protein used in the body, and microtubules, which are the structures they pull on or walk along on, into into hydrogels or gel-like materials which contract. Now, what we are doing is is a little bit more on maybe on the side of constructing devices rather than making materials where we're looking often at what um, individual microtubules are doing or smaller ensembles of, of microtubules are doing. When they are transported by these motor proteins, and our work in science robotics is sort of an outgrowth of that, where we put the motor proteins on a surface, have them propel a microtubule, which is, which is a tubular structure assembled from a few thousand um, tubulin proteins, and it's a few micrometers long, maybe five micrometers long has a diameter of 25 nanometers. So it's this it's this tiny spaghetti or tiny worm which is being pushed across the surface by the motors and that often serves as the core structure for what we would call molecular robots, molecular shuttles or things like that because it's it's motile and it can carry things and it can perform Actions under our guidance and and a lot of the devices we build and principles, engineering principles we try to explore are centred on, on this structure.
0: And what do you think maybe from this experience still maybe missing maybe an understanding, or maybe to replicate something exactly or surpass what are the expectations we're designing powerful official mosque. For example, you mentioned like engine car, and I sometimes think it's very interesting. What is maybe missing here?
1: Well, I would say we still can't make assemble the building blocks in this intricate way as it's done in nature. So just putting all these huge number of individual molecular motors and the uh, the filaments along which the, on which they pull or walk along together in this beautiful arrangement demonstrated in nature. That's something we still can't do. It, we still sort of make disordered jumbles of motors and filaments, and yes, it contracts, but it's hundred or thousand fold less powerful or forceful than than what muscle is doing. And I think that's really a big challenge to uh, um, to us. And it's, it's a good question if we're missing something fundamental If there has to be some probably a new idea of we just have to get better and better. And at what we've already been trying to do. And there has been significant process over the last 20 years since I started working in this field. and But we're still far from recreating a muscle.
0: Great. Before going to, I think, the paper with Grelle and speaking out the problem, but uh, maybe a quick question here about the beautiful arrangement I think that's very interesting. You mean this kind of arrangement and maybe we design in this ordered way. What do you mean about that? Can you elaborate more? What could be a solution for that?
1: Yeah, so in a muscle, if you zoom in and zoom in further and zoom in further until you see all the individual molecules, they are in an almost crystalline order where the... Um, where the motors are bundled together into what's called thick filaments and they pull along the so-called thin filaments and and it looks almost like a crystal under the the electron microscope. Everything is in exactly the right position and, um, and forms a substructure called the sarcomere and then these re- repeat again and again, and so it's a it's a crystal, which for in a larger crystal in a larger crystal in an ordered array of fibres, and that's something we still can't make. And but as you point out. Um, our paper wasn't actually about making muscles. Our paper was more about molecular manufacturing, and maybe
2: I'll turn to Gabriel <laughs> to, and let him yeah. talk a little bit more yeah. about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah so I could kind of give you the general idea about how we how we structured the system that we have. But in general, so we decided we used the same idea as we were discussing with the muscles. So we had these motor proteins, and they would propel around the filaments. And what we wanted to do is to use that and design something that will accelerate a chemical reaction. And for simplicity, we use the chemical reaction of a fusing of microtubules, so end-to-end fusing. So we do know that microtubules could grow uh, by adding filaments on both sides. But there's also a reaction where you have, like, two microtubules, and they could kind of fuse together end-to-end. So in the paper, what we did is <clears throat> try to design this uh, robotic structure that will accelerate this reaction significantly. And in order to do that, we confined the microtubules together with the kinesin uh, motors within this circular structure, and the micro, the kinesin would propel the microtubules to the, to, the, um, to, the, to the edge, to the wall of the circular structure. What would happen then is all the microtubules would be moving along the wall, in, a, in kind of the same direction or clockwise or counterclockwise. And that will basically allow a very high concentration of microtubules in that area, and also allow them to be in the same direction. So if they're both in the same direction, it's more likely that they would meet and fuse together and we'd have this end-to-end reaction. So that's the set, set up that we designed, and that accelerated the reaction about 20-fold compared to if they were just moving around on the surface without being aligned by the wall.
0: That's cool, yeah. So I'm curious to ask you first of all maybe about the application that makes sense Maybe I think you mentioned that, but again, more detail, it could be application for that.
2: Yeah, so uh, (laughs) I could chime in and Henry could add it, I guess. Um, So there are different ideas. So first of all, you could potentially use this to accelerate different chemical reactions. Um, or very specific chemical reactions. Or well, more generally, if you have some kind of nano factories where you want to design <clears throat> specific molecules, specific macro complex macromolecules, you could use these kind of compartments in a series, have one compartment after the other, and within each compartment, you accelerate a specific reaction and to get a final product. So, we're kind of within the space of nanomanufacturing, I think, would be probably one of the key applications for something like this. Yeah,
1: I think from the beginning of nanotechnology, this idea of molecular manufacturing that you could put together complex molecular structures in the same way as you put together a car where it goes from one workstation to the next workstation to the next workstation and things get added or removed in the same way as we do it at the macro scale it was always sort of a dream and and it's driven a little bit by thinking of about how the technology is done at the macro scale but that doesn't necessarily apply at the nano and molecular scale because we have things are moving around to the point in motion and thermal forces exist. and reactions can happen spontaneously and so exploring more how what it precisely means, how that would actually work like to have a, say, a conveyor belt at the nanoscale where a molecule is assembled little by little is a very interesting topic scientifically because um, questions like, well can we build this how much energy are we going to lose to friction is it worth it is it can we make it efficient enough um, wh- for which type of assembly processes is it a good idea and for which type of assembly process it's, is it a waste of time and all these things are I think still out in the open and chemists have built The first few molecular assemblers where polymers or or peptides are put together, um, one group by another group by another group. And that's very fascinating. And our work is is sort of related to that space, except that because we're working with these microtubules, which are, and motor proteins, which have the beautiful property that you can actually watch them as they are doing their thing and um, you can follow along very easily what's going on so it's um, you don't have to infer what your is doing from some um, NMR signal or some you can actually see it under the microscope and and that makes it um, very easy to see and, well, easy as uh, Guardian had a lot of fun trying to decide what, when did something fuse and um, what each of his microtubules is doing, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful system because you can follow along what's going on.
0: Yeah. But I'm curious ask you, because I think in the soft robotics community, mostly working on Larger scale, microscopic, or this continuum level. When you go to this molecular level, I, I think it's what could be something like shifts the perspective of design. You try to, for this paper, accelerating the reaction and designing molecular machines, and what could be shifting the understanding from continuum level to molecular level? Is this something very really challenging when you design system like in this scale? What is the challenge in here? Well.
1: One of the challenges is that in a normal robot you, you you think sort of of sensing and actuation and and processing as separate things, right? You have your sensors and then the information flows to your computer, the computer controls the then the actuator and everything is nicely separated. At the molecular scales, many of the things are sort of Mashed together, it's the 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 information is acquired by your structure experiencing the environment in, in an almost tactile way, right? It, the, the microtubule experiences um, its physical environment by touching it, for example, and mm-hmm. then the the processing is done a bit in a sort of in an embedded way the 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 computation happens by minimizing the free energy minimizing the energy exactly and then the um yeah and and so so there's not this need Distinction between the modular subgroups—it's—it's it's all happening in a more integrated fashion, and then it sort of gets difficult to say. Well, at what point am I sensing? At what point am I computing? And at what point um, is a signal sent to some actuator? And so, so that's—I think—tricky. It's also always. A challenge to sort of step away from the macroscopic intuition that if you if you pick something up and put it somewhere else, it stays there. At the molecular scale, it often diffuses around, or it will make a connection, but the connection doesn't hold forever. The connection will spontaneously fall apart, and so you you're. you're engineering in this probabilistic world where um, where the thermal forces break things apart and form them where you don't want them to form and overcoming this or working with it in a productive way is always a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Right. So I'm curious also maybe break down the design itself. For example, you mentioned that enhancing how the reaction speed for example the design criteria, how you came up with the design itself in such a level like that, especially with the paper, if you can tell more about the design.
2: The idea, well, it's a bit interesting. Like many things in science, it didn't <clears throat> happen exactly as we expected, but we were using this device that basically could confine the microtubules within a space. And what we were trying to this. We, we were trying to think of different applications that we could use for this device. And then we had this idea. Of let's try and use it in order to kind of design this robot, and and the idea was okay. Let's think of a design that would actually allow us to form them in the same direction, and and um, and concentrate them. And we tried various different things before we <clears throat> ended up specifically in type of circular situation, you know, we were thinking, okay, maybe we could use these specifically designed paths or confine them. So we started with, we tried to confine them within, um, so we kind of, this kind of ledge and they would, and the problem in that case, we just, we we had way too many filaments going into that area and we couldn't see anything and ended up with a simple design of just having a circle. And, And in more of kind of a natural way, they would aggregate by the circle just because of the movement of the microtubules and the way that... um, So if you could imagine it in a way that if they go by the circle, statistically, if they go in a straight line, they could go this way or that way. And the next step, if they go by the side of the circle, 50% of the options are blocked, so they tend to just aggregate by the circle. Um, And so that was kind of the idea. (coughs) And... Once we designed that and we saw that it actually worked, we were pleasantly surprised, <laughs> um, and obviously we have different ideas of maybe designing different types of circle in the future, or smaller circles to increase it, or larger ones, and a bit of the idea of the robotics aspect in this case is that it's programmable. So we could change aspects within the design and program the robot in that case to to, to do, to increase the reaction rate, or decrease it, or induce specific things within the reaction.
0: Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. Maybe in that point about limitation and design, I believe you used intuitive design maybe at first case. Maybe that's what you, uh, the first step, but I'm curious, uh, maybe that's first step at uh, the intuition, the design process was based on intuition?
1: Uh, yeah, and sort of some general physical ideas, um, sort of how small does the structure have to be to um, to guide the microtubules as they glide across the surface, and so on? So we do have some prior experience with, with, with funneling the microtubules around. I mean, in the with my Japanese collaborator Takahiro Nita, we have also explored sort of more automated ways of designing structures. And so for example, um, Professor Nitter made a beautiful um, genetic algorithm based simulation environment where you give this uh, the program a desired outcome like how should your structure guide the microtubules and then it will simulate 2030 variations, pick the best ones, of um, these a little bit, and then in in many cycles find the optimal design. Um, that's something we've explored. We haven't applied it in, in this particular study because we were here the goal was to strip it down to the essentials basically and or a little Having the microchips go in a circle was the most symmetric and most basic structure to analyze.
0: I guess maybe maybe in the paper or outside the paper was something was moment surprising moments because sometimes when you go to the lab and you do stuff and something surprising happened and shift the story of the research and maybe explore something you wasn't expecting that at all. I don't know if that's happening in the paper. I think Bartvita maybe get a mention, but. Other parts was quite interesting, never expected, and was like, wow, that shifts the story of what I'm doing, or maybe discover something, new ideas, because that sometimes happen, and I think that will be wonderful moments when you do research, yeah.
1: So, I have to admit, I was a bit surprised when Garte came back and said, (laughs) well, they actually fuse and and very quickly, I, I did not expect that to happen. Um,
2: but yeah, we the first time we we didn't see anything within the first few hours, and only after kind of leaving it overnight and coming back the next morning surprised to find these extremely long microdoubles.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the other surprise for me was that I had a I'd written like a A little essay and and a few years back, and posted it on archive about how much work would be required to accelerate a a chemical reaction by a certain amount, and and realizing that we could use Gaudy's experiments to sort of match the theory to it. was unexpected and made me quite happy. So that, that's the part where I'm most excited about the paper. That um, it illustrated sort of this theoretical idea that there's a lower limit to the amount which has to be expended to accelerate the reaction. And it actually, the numbers came out pretty close, i, I um, yeah, so, so that was nice. That would, would make me happy at least.
0: Um. But again, about the maybe the process of like, like, and is this a scale? How you make sure it's reliable and exactly do what is expected? And what is like situation uncertainty situation? Sometimes people talk about how it was uncertainty or failure or damage. How situation like that can be. we speak intelligence i don't know how you call it but in a situation like that to make sure it make what is supposed to do accelerating the reaction whatever the goal is
1: yeah if you're coming from the from the molecular side you're much more used to things going forward and backward at the same side uh, at the same time right so if you're looking at chemical reactions and catalyzed by some enzyme in our case often Yes, it goes forward. It also goes backward. This this macroscopic way of ensuring with absolute certainty that certain things happen is is not the way to work necessarily on the molecular scale. Um, but that that's in part again this where the macro ideas sort of meet a new environment and have to be tested in a new envi- environment. Um, and, and it's a fascinating topic how reliability is, is ensured at the molecular scale and how much energy we have to invest to ensure reliability and things like that it's it's a yeah it's a fascinating topic we could have mm-hmm. a whole hour-long discussion on like that
0: yeah yeah and maybe also for forget i don't know if there's kind of a trade-off sometimes but when you design something there's a trade-offs
2: yeah so i think like uh yeah going back to the previous question in, in our case, we were able to actually look at them and see them through the microscope, so it was easier to do this quality control and see if you have any byproducts or anything else, and even distinguish between products that we wanted and other ones that we didn't. In our case, that would be growing compared to fusing with microtubules. But obviously, when you move into manufacturing, you don't really have that luxury. You're working with things that you can't usually see as, as you're As the process is going along and yeah I I, I guess it's a complicated issue and and when you go to that scale also if you look at different uh, organic chemistry you always have these byproducts and part of the thing is stopping in different stages and checking to see what you have and, and optimizing that specific stage and thinking of different ways to optimizing different stages I mean if I go back to what we're doing, if you could initially do it and see what you're doing, that's great, and then you could move on and do it without imaging it in the microscope and hope that it's still working very well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our European colleagues are working hard
1: on trying to get away from having to watch everything all the time, so they're trying to explore how one electronically can see if a microtubule passes by or. Maybe have a microchip push a button or something like that um, to check in and reveal its position. So, um,
2: yeah, interesting challenge. As part of the design, the other issue is also once you design something, it's not as straightforward. When you build a macroscopic robot, then you see what you build, and you could build a very specific robot. In our case, you throw in the different components and hope that it arranges it properly. And, and when we were starting to work on this, uh, on these set of experiments, it obviously didn't work exactly like we, we expected and we had to change the concentrations and, um, and use different type of solutions and potentially different buffers to kind of get exactly what we need. And, and again, it's, you can't specifically see it. So it's more, it's more difficult to design it that way.
0: So maybe because we're close to end, I think maybe a few questions. What's the next for this research? Maybe the tools. You mentioned, I think, interesting part about the design of the shapes or the pattern, a ter- circular shape or other shapes. Maybe what other maybe to, yeah, direction or things you want to extend more on this research line in the paper? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the the whole idea of molecular manufacturing and, and not just fusing microtubules, but um, assembling more complicated structures in, in multiple steps. Um, we want to push that further and um, yeah, really understand what, on one hand, what are the technological opportunities, and but then also this synthetic biology perspective where we are trying to understand Why do things function as they do in a cell, for example? Why are there compartments? At what point are we employing, does the cell employ a motor because it's a... What is it thinking? What makes it a good idea to um, sometimes rely on diffusion to bring building blocks together? Sometimes the cell relies on um, motors to do this. And so our work is sort of has this to uh, goals on one hand, exciting technology, on the other hand, sort of second guessing of what's going on in nature at the molecular scale and, and figuring out what, 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 why do things happen in a, in a cell and in, in biology the way they do.
0: I really like this point so much and I think maybe I'm going to ask you in that case, because we ask a question, for example, how evolution come up with the design dimension. I think that's something very inspiring to have an answer for that. But do you think for you more the part of modeling or theoretical part and the empirical work? How do you see the correlation here? Because sometimes the modeling part and understand the mechanics or the physics is so challenging. Sometimes we have the result in an experiment, but to explain it in a theory, it's quite challenging and maybe rich scientifically.
1: Yeah, what, uh, what I really like about this field is that uh, there's a very lively exchange between researchers at different institutions and in different countries. And so sometimes we model things for others. Sometimes others model for us. And um, so we have a very close relationship with our colleagues in Japan and Europe and... Uh, China now and other places Canada and so it's 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 a community effort I, I would say and um, and the community is, is quite supportive of each other I think it's it's less a, it's, it's not a fight it's, a, it's more um, people like each other get together <laughs> If there's That's not COVID, and um, try to move the whole project forward, and sometimes it goes into unexpected directions. So, um, in Japan, the the recent focus was on building artificial muscles, and Europe, the recent focus was on building computers using these. Um, microtubules as agents which are making decisions and solving mathematical problems. And so it's going to stay exciting, I think.
0: Okay. Maybe uh, for you, um, the part of designing meaningful shapes or different shape, how do you see that maybe in computational side? Are you Are you interested in something like that? To design different shape that, rather than in the paper, for example, circle one.
1: Yeah, we are. I mean, mean, definitely. Um, Again, we will probably will probably go back and to our existing collaboration with Professor Nita at Gifu University, and build on on that. And then at the same time, it's always a challenge. Well. One has to build what one designs, and so the <coughs> microfabrication aspect can can be challenging. Um, so we have to work on on the implementation side. Um, but
2: yeah. Also, going back to the beginning of the conversation, we're kind of getting back into working on the artificial muscle, using yeah. So that's that could be exciting with some new ideas to move it from a two-dimensional to a three-dimensional structure.
0: Mm. Maybe a quick question here: Do you think this approach compared to other approach? Do you think that's maybe the right path towards replicating exact nature? Because there's different. There's no one answer for that. But do you think maybe that's the accurate approach to replicate exactly how nature work for artificial muscle do you think we have to focus on that direction more oh, yeah.
1: yeah obviously we're very much hoping that we're gonna come out as uh, come in first right in the, in the different yeah. approaches right in in a way there are three ways to, to go about this one can, rely on the tools of micro and nano fabrication and try to sort of build <coughs> small structures from silicon and, and um, basically go from top down and make it assembled like microchips in a way. And then on the other hand, there's this push to, to build molecular machines and nanofactories and so on using the tools of chemistry and that has been recognized by a Nobel Prize in twenty sixteen. And where chemists have built molecular motors from from small molecules. But as as the structures get, get more complicated, that gets very challenging also very quickly. And we're sort of coming from this biology side and try to um, exploit what nature gives us, and, and these three approaches are somewhat in competition and I couldn't tell you which one is going to come out ahead in the end, but we'll we'll try our way and push it as far as we can and see where we end up, I think.
0: Great, yeah, maybe a good question for Grelme if you'd like to answer. What could be the most maybe enjoyable part on the paper and the least enjoyable part? Um,
2: So, yeah, I think the most, I'll start with the least enjoyable and and then a more positive note. (laughs) So the least enjoyable was probably trying to distinguish um, when analyzing the results between the very similar kind of which ones are fused and which ones are not at this very high concentration. Uh, So that was a bit of tedious work and that was probably less enjoyable. But uh, overall, uh, doing the experiments themselves and uh, kind of putting all the results together uh, was definitely one, (laughs) probably a lot of fun and especially kind of seeing that it actually, that it worked the way that we intended it to work. Um, And eventually also trying to understand like the physics behind it and the uh, what what were the forces that made it work in the way that it did, that was probably the most enjoyable.
0: So maybe took a question, the first one, maybe the for Henry, how do you deal with doubt research? Do you, do you feel sometimes doubt in research? Doubt.
1: There's always, <laughs> my, my PhD advisor once said to me, Anyway, there's always doubt. Uh, just put it aside. Yeah. Well, the doubt is for the weekend, right? The doubt is for Saturday, and then uh, by the time you get back, I think, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's time to try again.
2: Um,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay. That. So I don't know if you would like to add something about doubt maybe in the paper.
2: <laughs> always in different stages, you have doubt about what you see and if. <laughs> but once you once you have enough evidence, then you get confident in that. And and uh, mm-hmm. I think most of the doubt goes away. Um, like a- anything in science, the more evidence you have, the less doubt you have. I always believe yeah. it when, when it matches my feeling. <laughs> so.
0: so I don't know if you have maybe, maybe advice maybe given to you with the life is changing and yeah, maybe in the career. Yeah, for you, I'm getting a few ones of that too.
2: Um, I think one good advice is always, yeah, it's just to always keep an open mind about things that you see and notice. Um, things might not be exactly where you think they are when you start, and they might end up different. and look at things, try to kind of see interesting aspects. And if something comes out weird, don't throw it away and say, okay, let's start a new experiment. But sometimes kind of take a look and maybe you'd get something interesting out of the weird results that you just had.
0: I like that, yeah. No, do Henry, we have also something. I, com-
2: I, com- I completely agree. <laughs> you
1: got to yeah. work with what nature gives you, like what the experiment hands you. and. See what it needs. You can't always mm-hmm. force it.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. So I don't know if you have any final words like to say for maybe the audience or the so robotics community listening to what could be final words you like to say. Yeah.
1: Well, my final word is: I think it's it's a fascinating field where chemistry and engineering and computer science meet. And, and physics, and it all comes together. And uh, one has many opportunities to sort of think in different directions. And I would encourage everyone to join us.
0: Thank you. And Geryl, do you have any final words you'd like to say? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, so I'd have to, <laughs> have to agree with Henry about the field. It's a very interesting field. <laughs> yeah. And I. Personally, I, I I enjoy kind of looking at the when when you don't work in a specific area, but where you combine your different skills and different knowledge from different fields to bring it in together into kind of one project. And you know, you're working in this case with robotics and biology, and and bringing it together is quite interesting. And yeah, I, I also hope that more people join the field, and <laughs> we could help advance it. and maybe win the race to build the artificial muscle muscle from yeah, in our approach. <laughs> good plan. Yeah,
0: so thank you once again, and congratulations for this research. And I, I think it's very exciting research line. So thank you once again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank
1: you for having thank us, Marva. Thank you. Thank Have you. a good day.